Have you ever had to make a big change in your life? Have you ever felt the calling to move from one area into another area? One that might be completely unknown to you, especially after years and years of cultivating whatever it was you were doing beforehand. In my next interview of The Writer's Lens, I sit down with an old friend of mine named Kay Smith, who grew up with an incredible passion for art and, as it turns out, education. But after getting out of college, she spent 13 years in the corporate environment working for a reputable marketing firm here in Cleveland, Ohio. However, over the past year, in 2018 that is, Kay felt a unique calling upon her life to reinvigorate that old passion as a child and follow her heart into the realm of art education. In this next interview on The Writer's Lens, I talk with Kay about this transition, mostly how it's going, but also what was going on in her heart and in her mind as she followed her faith to move from one area into another. And being that she has a wife and a mother of four, it's not exactly an easy decision to move from one space such as that into another, especially when what you had before was so seemingly steady. I hope you enjoy this next interview on The Writer's Lens, as I not only get to catch up with an old friend of mine, but also talk through this process of what it was like and how you could possibly make the same kind of jump in your own life. All right, welcome back everyone to The Writer's Lens. This is Josh J.C. Felto, and I have a very special guest today on my podcast for actually a return interview. Um, <laughs> she is a wife. She is a mother. She is a creator. Kay Smith, how are you doing this evening? I am doing well. I'm happy to be back talking with you about my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, um, I'll get into a quick little ditty here about how I know Kay. Uh, Kay and I go way back to the days of college. We were just talking about it actually right before That's right. I, I put this on and, and uh, we, we hit the record button. But uh, we were reminiscing about a class we had together <laughs> called, called Death and Dying. And I think we were we were both were just going, why on earth did we take this class? Like, I think we had to take so many like religious mm-hmm. electives. And I had done world religion and then junior year. I don't know what made me do it, but death and dying. And we were just talking about how we took a field trip to one of our local funeral homes. And just <laughs> <laughs> what a great time that was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> In fact, it was so awesome that I tried not to remember it. You were bringing it up and I just went... Yeah, I, I, I think I repressed that memory. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were there, Falto. I feel like you drove in my car. It was it was a bizarre class. It was. When you're 20 years old, you're really not thinking about death and dying. No, was... no definitely not. But what you might be thinking about is your future, or at least you're supposed That's to be. True. You're supposed yeah. to be thinking about your future in college. And, and I, I did want to share this because I didn't get to say it last time when we first connected for this interview was – you always seem to be ahead of the curve with technology and just artsy things. And I remember that Mac computer that you had that had like the yeah. one button. And it was, to me, it was like such a foreign concept because everybody had those gigantic tower computers um, yep. from back in the day. And that gigantic screen, you had to lug up three, three flights of stairs yep. that was that for whatever reason weighed like a ton. And you were just like, ah, I got my screen in this, this, this thing that just with the single button, I just was like, how do you even yeah, use my that mouth. thing? Uh-huh. <laughs> I know my husband's computer was like a mini TV. It was so big. <laughs> he had like the 18 inch laptop screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I went to college with a Mac and that was pretty, at, at the time, like pretty cutting edge and a mm. risky move. But I went into college knowing that I was pursuing art and graphic arts and 
that was recommended by so many different teachers and professors in the industry. You know, it had Photoshop and InDesign and it ran all the programs I needed for my major. So hmm. yeah, I was ahead of the curve, I guess. You were, you totally were ahead of the curve. Yeah. And, and, and on that note, the fact that you were ahead of the curve, you jumped straight into uh, a marketing firm yes. uh, right out of college. And I don't want to give away too much of your story because I want you to kind of share that and bring it to yeah. why I wanted to interview uh, you other than it was kind of easy maybe to twist your arm a bit, uh, being, an, being a, a friend of mine from, from past life. Uh, but yeah, so tell me a little bit about your story, about where you started yeah. out in school. Obviously, we met there. But um, just, you know, what got you into doing marketing and kind of this art background that you have? Yeah, so growing up, like I always knew I loved to draw and paint. I loved to create stories. Um, I had a great imagination. But the school I went to, I loved it, but it didn't really have a strong art curriculum. I didn't have a designated art teacher. There wasn't, you know, a really strong program. So I never really had someone breathing creative words into me or inspiring me, telling me that I was creative. So I never really thought to pursue anything in the arts field. Um, it wasn't until high school, you know, the high school art room was so cool and I just was always intimidated by it, but I was drawn to it. It was like this mysterious place where all the cool artsy kids hung out. Um, and there was always like really strange, but cool paintings in the window. And I was kind of, kind of one of those people that just had their nose pressed up against a window looking in and admiring everything. Hmm. But it wasn't until senior year of high school that I had to take an elective and I decided to do a graphic design class at high school. And it was the first time that my creative spark was lit and my teacher, Mrs. Pleban, just she was so supportive and just said the right words that boosted my confidence. She really gave me creative confidence. And it was the first time that I thought, man, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. I had a knack for it. And I just really enjoyed it. And my mom, you know, she would give her right arm to support my dreams. Immediately started doing all this research about different schools, different graphic programs. Um, so I went to Mount Union and it was a hybrid program. It was called Media Computing and it was a mix of studio art, design, graphic work on the computer. And it was kind of like a hodgepodge degree, but it gave me exposure to all different sides of the graphic world, marketing, art, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I got an internship in college at Kuno, which, and then when I graduated, that's where I got my first job. And so I have been there, had been there for the last 13 years. Wow. It was, yeah, it was my home. It was where I kind of grew up all through my twenties, hmm. my early thirties. Um, and it was just the best place to work. I have to admit that like, it was so creative and so much fun. We were always on the cutting edge. Um, you know, we started off as traditional marketing with a lot of print stuff, and we were on the front of the inbound movement with, you know, social media, content creation, um, all the different platforms. They're, they're doing some really amazing stuff with video content now. And so it was just, it was a hard decision to leave. <laughs> Um, but over the past maybe two years or so, I just kept feeling this tug, like I was ready for my next 
move mm-hmm. um, career-wise. You know, I've been having kids over the last eight years, but career-wise, I was just feeling really unsettled, and I just really had to tune in to what was going on in my heart. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I, like, explored and went deeper, I just knew I was being drawn into art education. And I had started an art group out of my home with all my kids all my friends' kids. And, you know, sometimes I would have 20, 25 kids showing up at my house mm-hmm. or at our local church. We would use a space there in one of the rooms. And I was just like, man, this is kind of, this is really fun. And this is kind of something like it was turning into something. But I also have my job and my kids. And so it just gave me exposure to art education, to process based art. And I just fell in love. Yeah. And so it was a really hard decision to leave Kuno, but I knew, I knew it was what was next for me. That's awesome. Now that's, there's a couple of things too, like in your story that I think are really interesting. First of all, we're kind of on the, the early like millennial kind of uh, age group and to just be at one, I think company for 13 years is a, is a real accomplishment for like our age group. Uh, So too, when I look around at close friends who have either hopped around or unsure what they want to do or every five years or so they're switching. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, I never could picture myself doing anything else until the last year or two, I want to say. Hmm. And that's interesting. Cause I think, you know, I, I've, I've often thought about this a lot cause I've had a couple different vocations since I've got out yeah. of college and you kind of saying that the environment there was very inviting as far as for a creative you know, being mm-hmm. able to really kind of dig into different things and not being so, con- you know, confined. And I think a lot of people think about office work and they go, oh man, it's like being with a ball and chain or I'm shackled to my desk and there's no outlet at all or anything like that. But but your experience would kind of like be the opposite of that in, in many ways. Yeah, in that, in that realm, yes, absolutely. Like, yeah, you had to get stuff done. You had to mm-hmm. produce results. But a lot of it is a lot of brainstorming, coming up with new ideas, fresh content ideas, mm-hmm. layouts, working with the design team, giving art direction. And so it did leave a lot of room to express yourself create- creatively. Um, and man, we worked with some of the best designers in the industry. Some of the web stuff they were putting out, video stuff, it was just, it, it blew my mind and it always inspired me. So I just learned a lot. I soaked everything up, like every meeting I was just watching them soaking everything up. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like punch in, punch out, sit in a cubicle, input data all day. It was, it was a great environment to be in. Hmm. And you were talking about the transition going from being in that environment to now being a teacher in art yeah. and, and whatnot now that transition had to have been just really difficult and you kind of glossed over a little bit. So we're going to unpack that a bit Yeah. I mean, this, this transition. Cause I know that, I mean, you're, you're married, you have four kids now and having a stable job and having that kind of security is not an easy thing for someone to just say, okay, right. well, I think I'm done with this and I'm just going to move on to the next thing now. Yeah. It wasn't something I took lightly and I gave myself some time over the summer off just to like, regroup, refocus, get prepared. I read, I've been reading a lot of books, blogs, podcasts, Mm. and it was a huge learning curve. I'll have to admit jumping into a classroom right away. Um, the art part of it, I'm very confident with 
it was more of, you know, working with administration and all the paperwork involved and all the different softwares you use in the classroom, mm. you know, getting used to my smart board and, you know, just all of the things that you don't really think about. I just had this kind of idealized vision of what art teaching will be. But, um, and then the art group that I was running might have, you know, 10, 15 kids. And then all of a sudden you're teaching 28 kids mm. and they're all different skill levels. Some with extra needs that need attention, some that move much faster and then they're done halfway through and they're asking what they can be doing next. And you're just like, ah, I don't have a, I don't have a plan. <laughs> and so it's been a lot of learning on the fly. The first few weeks, I think I made a lot of like, yeah, on the on the fly decisions and mm. learning from my mistakes. Like, oh, I, I need to have something ready for them if they're done halfway through class and the rest of the class is still chugging along. So, yeah, it's been a huge learning curve, but it's been really great. Like, I, I made the right move, and I love where I'm at. I'm so passionate about it. I love the, mm. the diversity of the school, the of the backgrounds, of the kids, of the families. So it was definitely the right move. It just def it really had a learning curve um, going from a professional marketing setting to a skid or a school with I teach first grade all the way through eighth grade. So mm. yeah, that's I mean that's a really varied group of kids. I mean, it as is. far as <laughs> that's that's a lot of different age groups. But since you do have many little sprouts of your own, it can kind of be a yeah. little bit similar in a way that yes, I have an older child. How old is Lila now? Lila's eight, uh, seven, I almost said eight. She's seven in second grade. So sometimes I, te I talk to the first graders. I'm like, what would a mom say? Like I'm in that zone because I have a kindergartner and a second grader. It's like, okay, I got to bring it down. I'm not talking to eighth graders anymore. You know, they will work a lot slower. Mm -hmm. They, yeah. I always take halfway through the class. I take a uh, 30 second, I call it a 30 second wiggle break. And we do Simon Says, and then we kind of dance and get the wiggles out because I have to remember their attention spans are so itty bitty mm -hmm. at that age. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. I mean, yeah. you know, my three-year-old, it's, it doesn't help that he's a boy, but he's also just all over the place. And oh yeah, totally. It just when they're sitting doing a craft, those are kind of those little precious moments where you feel like I can actually kind of you know, pour into this kid a little bit with something while right. their attention is on this thing that they're doing. So. Uh, Absolutely. I've noticed that with my kids, if they're kind of crazy, if I just bring up some paint and paper, mm -hmm. like just that alone, it'll center them. They'll focus. Uh, the amount of information you can get out of a kid when you're working on an art project together, I just kind of let them lead and talk mm -hmm. and you're totally right. Like it's a great way to connect. Cool. Do you think that in that case that every one of us is a little bit creative at heart? I think we all oh, have yeah. a little bit of creativity. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I always, I had this little presentation when I started school this year with my fifth and eighth graders that mm -hmm. I said, I don't want to hear the word I can't or I cannot like that is banned from Mrs. Smith's art room. Mm. I said, each of us can create something from nothing. I can give you a lump of clay and you can mold it with your hands. And that's my favorite example because you don't even need tools. Your hands can do the work for you. And you can make something out of that, whether it's a mm. pinch pod, a bird, a little box, anything. You can make something out of nothing. And we're the only species on this planet that has an imagination mm. and, you know, being created in the image of God. And he is literally the, the ultimate creator. Mm. He is 
breathe everything into existence and he doesn't duplicate anything. He creates from nothing. And I think that we have that quality in us, that essence in us to be creative. And I think the, the expression of our soul comes out when we create stuff. So yes, I, I hear it a lot with adults. Like I'm not creative. I wish I was as creative as you. And that makes me sad because I feel like somewhere along the line, someone told them that they weren't mm. creative or they started to believe that they're creative. Cause I look at my eight year old, eight year old, I said that again, my seven year old and my five year old, <laughs> and they can dream up anything. They don't have any limits on their creativity. You know, they never feel embarrassed by it or limited by it. They're just working away. And I'm like, man, where along the line do teenagers, or maybe it's not cool or grown ups they've been told at some point that it wasn't good or just saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to a kid can really squash their creative confidence that's so that's really good i mean i just was uh, you had mentioned earlier you had that art teacher years ago yeah who really kind of endorsed your your interest in art at that particular time and that was like the critical moment almost for you yeah it's so, like something just slipped in my head like oh man maybe i could really do this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of I think I was in third grade at the time when I was writing stories. I was trying to duplicate comic books or something at the time. Yeah, I was I was writing out stories, and I had a third grade teacher. Was it Mrs. Havis? I think was her name. And that was when I also learned what plagiarism was. Oh gosh, <laughs> when I, when I, was, uh, I was actually writing out uh, the line for line from dinosaur books and comics oh and stuff. And, gosh. and yeah, Mrs. Havis was like, wow, this is really good, Josh. Where are you getting these ideas? And I think I showed her the book and she went, yeah, this is, you're, you're copying everything word for word, Josh. This is, this is what is known as plagiarism. You're not allowed to do that. So, so I, I had, well, to, I had to re reassess my creative path with writing, but <laughs> still, still learning. It's a work in progress. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so on, on that note though, too, just thinking about, you know, what it takes to cultivate creativity and us, you know, do you believe that we all have sort of a calling on our lives? Is it, you know, is it something that we're doing throughout our lifetime or is it, is it like a one shot? Like I, I figured it out and now I'm just going to run with it. Yeah. So this is a conversation or a topic that I have been thinking a lot lately about just because with a career switch, I spent the last year really exploring like, what am I good at? You know, I do believe each of us have specific spiritual gifts that the spirit has given us. You know, we have something really powerful in us that when used for God's glory, man, it could, it could just explode. And so I do believe we each have specific gifts given to us and we're to honor God with them. But I think in the capacity that we use them, that's where free will and the freedom to choose, you know, how we use those gifts mm -hmm. is up to us. And so when I look at myself, I just spent a lot the last year really thinking about like, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? And it always came back to art and it came back to your creativity and creative expression. And, you know, I was trying to figure out how, like, how could I use that for God's glory for in the kingdom? And not mm -hmm. every person is going to have a ministry-based job. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a garbage collector or a taxi driver or um, you sell flowers, it doesn't matter. You can still honor God with those gifts by doing that, shining his love in your space. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I was trying to think of how I could contribute my own gifts and being an art teacher in a Christian school stuff that, that was my first 
I don't even know how to say my first goal, um, just because I can spread the love of Jesus, the gospel to my students. And that that's a a great attribute of working in a Christian school. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk a lot about Bible verses and, you know, God's creation, that type of Mm -hmm. stuff. And then the conversation about each of us being created in God's image. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's great to be able to just have an open platform like that. But then more specifically, you know, just even on a church level, I don't know, the conversation, I I know you have a book that you've read. Um, I've read like The Artisan Soul or Pursuing Christ, Creating Art. I think that's the name of it by Gary Molander. Mm. And it talks a lot about like creating that environment when you walk into a church. Like Mm -hmm. we are all sensory beings. God created us for sensory intake. What we're, what are we smelling? What are we seeing? What are we hearing? What can we touch or taste? You know, how is that all that experience, that sensory experience helping us usher into the presence of God and what colors, I mean, not that it's that specific, but like what colors are you using? Um, just what are people seeing when they walk in? And I think about like the command Jesus or God had for building the ark to Noah, building Mm -hmm. the tabernacle, the tent with Moses, even Mm -hmm. the temple with Solomon. Like he was very specific about measurements, materials, colors. And I think we have the freedom for church now to, to kind of have expression, but I'm always thinking like, is this pleasing to God? Does this honor God? Are we doing this because we like pallet walls and we like, (laughs) you know, shabby chic country farm house type Joanna Gaines, are we doing this to honor God and to bring people into the presence of God? Mm-hmm. That's all really good. I mean, the book that you had kind of referenced that I had yeah. read was was uh, called to create by. Joel yeah, Rainer. that's it. It's yeah. on my list. Yeah, and he has some really good stuff in there. I mean, he interviews a lot of different just business owners and creative folks about you know how do you use your gifts for the kingdom? You know, how do yeah. you cultivate them and then figure out how to you know, utilize them somewhere in the market space or even with just a small group of people. And I think one of the best takeaways I had from that was just basically saying that you don't have to be a pastor, you know, like that's not the end goal of your life. If you are, if you're a Christian, you know, you shouldn't think that my ultimate goal is to be a pastor and stand up in front of people and, and teach on Sundays. Like I can teach in a school. (laughs) Yeah. Like I can, well, I can teach art in a school and that's part of the ministry and it's, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's absolutely just right on. So, so yeah. Um, but his, uh, I mean, I think also part of the kind of his, his end note was that we do have a calling, you know, we do have callings yeah. in our life and that's kind of an ongoing process. And I mean, do you personally feel like you've, you've settled into where you think this is where you're going to be for a while, or is this something that you don't think about necessarily, or is it just kind of an ongoing process. Yeah, I kind of look at my life like in seasons, you know, the marketing season was great out of college. It's where I really learned the professional world. And then I could just feel it over the last 18 months. Like I would, like something was tugging. I was ready for the next step. Mm -hmm. I do think I'm going to settle in and teach art for, you know, God willing for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. I do feel like I'm kind of in my my zone, my place right now. Mm -hmm. My kids are all going to be at school in school in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so this elementary school stage, it's going to last for a while. My youngest is only one. So we'll be there for a good 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I do plan on teaching art for a while, but I can, 
I can just foresee a lot of different directions. Like I would love big picture to start like a creative ministry where we're doing outreach programs with our education or art therapy, you know, where in a very Lorain County has some pockets of, you know, some, some section eight housing and just different mm. areas that are low income that could really use mm. God's love that could really use the arts mm. as a way to express themselves. Maybe they have, you know, some family things that they're working through mm. and whether it's a community art show or just regular art programs in the community. Um, I would love to start something like that, but I'm not gonna, I don't want to wish away where I'm at right now. Like I really am, in, am enjoying the season that I'm in. So I love to dream big and plan big, but also I don't want to take away from small because there's a lot of beauty in the small. There really is. I think that's really wise too. Cause I think, um, from our last time we had talked, you were, we were also kind of touching a little bit on your photography business that you yeah, were doing right. as well on top yeah. of all this. And I remember you were just saying, man, this got to a point where I'm doing this real late at night. I'm spending yeah. a ton of time on it. I, is this even worth doing it anymore? I mean, and I feel like there's kind of a, a unique pressure on, uh, I think just people today about having maybe like this passion project in yeah. addition to whatever it is that they're also doing. And I guess, how have you navigated that? Cause I know you're not doing that as much right now, but, I'm not. but how, wh like, what were some breaking points maybe, or like where, what would yeah. you give as far as advice is, you know, when it comes to those kinds of things? So I'm kind of like the queen of projects. <laughs> like, I think you are too, Josh. Yeah. I just love having stuff to work on. And mm -hmm. so I started doing photography 2010, so almost eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was never intentional, but just slowly over the years, I accumulated a client base and I just got busier and busier. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2016, I started doing like weddings and a, a, just a ton of fall shoots. Mm -hmm. And that fall, I mean, I remember I had two or three shoots a weekend in September and October for the whole, like eight weeks straight. Wow. I reached Thanksgiving and Christmas and I was just flat out burnt out. Mm. And then I found out I was pregnant with our fourth and I got so sick, just morning sick with him for weeks and weeks. Mm. And that entire winter, I just hibernated. I literally couldn't, couldn't move off the couch. I had no creative desire. I didn't make anything. I didn't shoot anything. I did nothing for a good four months. Wow. And I told my husband, like feeling burnt out and having morning sick, when you don't feel your best, I had zero creative inspiration. Hmm. So that taking that step back made me realize like, man, I don't, I don't actually miss photography. Like I hadn't hmm. touched a camera in six months by the time summer had came and I didn't miss it. Wow. I wasn't looking to book anything. And so I knew I had to do like a heart check, like what, what's really going on here. Hmm. And I think it all stemmed from like when my, my photography professor had said, if you really love photography, you're never going to try and make a career out of it because you'll start to hate it. And that's what's happening to me where it wasn't my career. I never intended it to be my career, but it took away weekends from my families. I was up till, you know, 1130 midnight editing. And then I'd be so cranky the next day when I'm home with my kids, they did not get the best of me. They got the, the leftovers of me. Mm. And so it was just this, this vicious cycle of never having enough time, mm. um, 
being away from family and my husband, you know, he works, he travels for work. And so the weekends were, are so precious to us. Yeah. And yeah, it just, I mean, I love doing photography and I love doing it for close family and friends and yeah. here and there, but yeah, that was just a season of burnout. And so it's kind of one of those things where I'm not happy. I'm not healthy. What is causing this and what can I cut out? I had to cut that out, downsize it to really leave room for what I wanted to do. I had to leave room for the best Jess. And that was really just taking up a lot of my capacity. Wow. That's really, I mean, that's really good stuff, Kay. I mean, as far as you were saying, you were not happy, you're not healthy. What's going on here? And yeah. I think a lot of people can get tunnel vision when they're in the midst of, hey, it's my passion project. This is something I really like. This is something that interests me. Right. I need to keep going. Right. And like the just... part is, is like people and my husband, I mean, he was so encouraging and he mm -hmm. just, man, you're so good at this. Look at this. You have all these clients and you're so busy. This is just fantastic. And so then it made me feel bad for not being happy. Like, why am I not mm -hmm. happy? You're right. Like, this is successful. I'm halfway decent at it. But yeah, it made it feel, it made it even harder to take a step back when you know that like mm -hmm. it's actually going somewhere, but it's not what you want. So you just had, I just had to work up the courage to be like, okay, we have to stop this. Even if I am good at it, that doesn't mean I have to make it a career. Right. Right. It's really kind of like a reshuffling of your priorities in a way. Yes. You yeah. Know, just, just recognizing Absolutely. like, what are, what are my actual priorities for what I'm responsible for or um, who am I responsible for as well? You know, and, and you being a mom of four, you got a lot of people that you're responsible for. <laughs> and I just look at it now. You can be good at something and enjoy it without trying to make money off of it. Like I love photography and I'm good at it, but I don't have to make it a career. I don't have to make it a business. I can just do it for the love of doing it. And that's where I'm at right now. That's good. That's really good. So what, what advice would you give then to somebody that is like, you know, I kind of want to do something on the side and I'd like to maybe start a bit of a passion project like photography yeah. or maybe just, you know, I don't know if it's painting or something or there's a whole myriad of things out there I feel like that people can do that they feel like, oh, maybe this could be something more than, you know, me just kind of playing around in the basement or something like that. Yeah, I think it all for me it always starts at, off with what am I drawn to? Like, what do I get excited about? Mm. Um, and am I talented at that? Like, I, I always get so excited to go to the Cleveland Art Museum. I always love taking pottery classes. Um, and so it's kind of one of those things like that always has drawn me in. Mm. And so I think if anyone's looking for a side project, I would just start with a local class. If you're you're, you're starting to realize like, hey, I really enjoy cooking. Find a cooking class. There's a ton in the Cleveland area. Hmm. Or you want to start crocheting or knitting or it doesn't have to be anything creative. But just start with a class and see if it's really what you want to commit to. Hmm. Um, and then I would just network uh, and start hmm. small. Etsy, Facebook, um, and just kind of build your business locally. And I think that's the best way to start is with like a local tribe. Hmm. You're using a lot of buzzwords that I'm familiar with. Like yeah. the, the tribe and, and uh, you know, do, <laughs> do, some, do some local. You know, as a, you know, as a writer myself, I, yeah. I hear that term used quite a bit because that is actually what the goal would be, you know, is, a, is accumulating a bit of a community uh, that, right. you could, that you could have around 
what you're doing so you can show people actually what you know what you, what you're actually and working I think, on. I think you can find a community around pretty much any passion, hobby, mm -hmm. extracurricular. There's someone else out there that enjoys it as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And so there's probably a, a support group, not support group, but like a meetup, a book club, a mm -hmm. class going on. There's more than likely something already established in your area based upon what you enjoy. Good, good. So I, probably last question then for you uh, is, you know, we I, I kind of ask this about anybody that uh, comes on here is yeah. the the process of just trying to balance being a mom, being a wife, and just all these kinds of things and everything else that you got going on. Mm -hmm. um, is there like a you know like a silver bullet at all as far as in dealing with that or? Um, I think family always comes first, and so I always frame it around that like. Like you said, like it's about the priority shuffling. Mm -hmm. What my priority is always family, church, God, Jesus, my relationship, and mm -hmm. then fitting in the classes that you're interested in, working on a creative project, mm -hmm. um, and also having I, my husband is just so super helpful. I could not do that without him because when I'm away, someone has to be with the kids mm -hmm. and vice versa. So, um, yeah, just having that extra support, mm -hmm. someone on your side, um, and just knowing that you don't have to do it all. Yes. You don't have to be super mom. You don't have to have it all together all the time. I think that's just a big misconception in this day and age, you know, you can fall into the comparison trap on social media. That mm -hmm. woman has it together. Her house is Joanna Gaines and she's always at the gym and look at those crackpot dinners. How does she get that done? And man, my kids don't play with Play-Doh. They're watching TV, not my kids. <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> I, it's easy to just look at everyone's highlight reel and mm. feel like you're not enough or doing enough. Mm. And I just say, cut it out. Um, yeah, really filter what you're seeing on social media. To if it leaves you feeling like junk afterwards, it needs to go. Gotcha. So you don't have to do it all. That's Prioritize. Good. No, that's really good. I think. You know, I've talked about it with a few other folks. I think just recently I did an uh, interview with Brian Del Turco, and he yeah. was talking. He was talking about how having a confidant, somebody that supports you in what you're doing yes. creatively, is like so imperative. Because oh, yeah. there's there's a lot, I guess, of gusto behind the idea of look at me, I can do it all by myself. And you know, maybe there's a, a bit of a pride thing there too for anyone that says that you know I can I can do this on my own. But ultimately, we do need someone in our corner, yes. you know, we do need, we do need some kind of support system. So I think, uh, pastor Eugene Cho had just recently said behind every successful person is an entire team of people that believed in them, breathed yeah. life in them, supported them, helped them out, gave them resources. Like they're the self made man is mm -hmm. just a big illusion. Yep. And so, yeah, there is a little bit of pride in that. And I always have to be careful, of that like pride issue of like, look at me, look at how great I am. Look at all these things I'm doing. When really it's like, Oh my God, thank God my kids are dressed and alive at the end of the day. You know, I know. It's like, I totally relate to that completely. Right. And, and I've got half as many as you and I still feel that way. So. 
Man, parenting is hard, but it's so good. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It gives you a lot of creative juice too. I know that. Oh yeah, it really does. Kids, especially being in art, I just bring coming down to their level. It gives me so much inspiration. Mm -hmm. They are so free to express themselves. It's really, they're really great creators. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. So, so I'm going to, I'll bring this in for a landing here. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, just thank you again, Kay, for, for being on the, uh, on the Writer's Lens. Here's the opportunity then for, for a plug for you uh, as far as if anyone wants to find you on social media or, you know, kind of join up in the tribe or whatever you got yeah. going on, where would be the best place to find you? So my website is katherinesmithstudio.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dot com. And then I'm mostly on Instagram. That's where I'm working, putting all my art projects and stuff around the art room. So it's uh, Instagram.com slash K, like the letter, mm -hmm. dot Smith dot art. Mm -hmm. and, Kay does, and I will say that your Instagram is full of really interesting stuff. I mean, I... We try and keep it interesting in the art room. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I mean, the most recent one I think I saw was you with the wings. Oh, um, yeah. That's such a great project. That was really cool. Every was... student and staff got a feather to decorate. We celebrated our 75th anniversary at our school and church. And so we made these huge. Kelsey Montague, mm -hmm. she's the artist. She's a street artist in Nashville, makes these big angel wings on the side of buildings. And so we just got inspired by that and went oh, with it. That's awesome. They that's were awesome. beautiful. Definitely check it out if you are interested in those sorts of things. So, uh, Thanks, so Josh. Kay Smith, thank you again so much for doing this the second time. Ah, not a problem. I could, <laughs> we could do this every night. <laughs> I'd have something new to say. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know. I, I feel like there was a whole bunch of other topics that we hit on this, on this particular yeah, uh, conversation. Good. And it can just continue to unpack it. So awesome. Good stuff. So thanks again, Kay. And thanks, thanks everyone else who's you. listening in. I'll be back again soon. Thanks. Sounds good.